Transitioning all of the abilities to marry up solar PV for electric. So we're getting back to our. our we're system. getting back to our the first question, the original question. Exactly, the <laughs> Thank different you. sources Thank of energy. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. <laughs> Welcome to the Art of Custom from Hibbs Homes, sponsored by Pella Window and Doors and Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery. In this episode, Kim and Melody talk with Washington University Professor Ryan Abendroth about the passive house building standard and what that means for building a healthy home. Then we sit down with our good friend, Matt Belcher, and go back in time to talk about the active house building standards, which are in line with our Hibs Healthy Home Initiative. Enjoy. Hi everyone, Kim Hibbs and Melody Miner joining you again with The Art of Custom. So happy to have you with us because Melody, this is one of our, our favorite subjects because we're gonna be talking about building better homes and that's what we do. And quite frankly, that's what most custom home builders across the country do. But we take a little bit of a different focus when we say building better homes, don't we? We do, and it started off as green homes, but then we found out that oh, everybody- Oh, that's so old, Melody, right. come on. I mean, and crunchy too, that's what everybody <laughs> thinks, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of great sustainable benefits to what we do, but, mm -hmm. you know, when you talk about what what's in it for me besides doing great for other people, there's a ton of health benefits, durability, and so it's educating people on that component that we've tried to figure out how to do, right? Exactly, because, I mean, honestly, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, we're talking about... 2000, 2005, when, when kind of green construction really became, you know, more and more well known, I think the connotation was more saving the earth and what is it, what are we doing to, um, you know, make sure we're, we're not depleting our forests and making sure that we're leaving a little bit of a softer footprint and things like that. I think that's why I'm glad we got away from green because the way we build now, we still want to focus on sustainably harvesting the lumber we use and leaving a softer footprint. But to your point, there's so much more that goes into this. It's about, you know, the quality of the indoor air that we're breathing. It is about um, sustainable design and, and daylighting. It's about the comfort, indoor comfort of the home. It's, it's all about, you know, what are you trapping yourself inside the home with? You want to make sure that you, aren't, you don't have paint or carpet or cabinetry that's off-gassing. So, you know, you, you were also focused on, on indoor water, the quality of the water and the, the amount of water that's being consumed. So it's really, we're, we're trying to take a look at a holistic look um, at, at how we're building these homes and what it means to build a Hibs healthy home. Because I think, um, you know, the, the mind frame of most consumers and homeowners has shifted a little bit too. It's almost, um, it's an expectation that things are going to be as sustainable as possible. And so that's not really something, people just assume that you're going to be doing that. And so let, let's talk about some of the great stuff that, you know, is going to you know, create a long-term investment. And I know that we've been, since I started working with you guys in 2009, mm -hmm. and there's been a shift in and just And you're the still 29. I am. I am. I'm <laughs> um, going to be ce celebrating that anniversary in a few uh, months. But the 
Active House Project was one thing that I got to work with you guys yes. on um, back in the day in 1863. <laughs> um, so, so we've built um, to many different standards, and we'll talk about that as we go along in this particular podcast. But no, you know, the Active House, a very fun project. We've also built to Energy Star standards, National Green Building standards. There were local standards that we built to. Um, you know, we built to HERS. We're a HERS builder, which is simply a rating system that helps you understand and the energy consumption of your home and how it compares to other homes. But we, we build to those standards today. We're doing blower door tests, which is helping us better understand how tight we're building our homes. And if we're going to build a tight home, you've got to ventilate it right. We're, we have a, a saying that I learned from a good friend of mine, Matt Belcher, who's going to join us a little bit later. As a builder, you want to build it tight but ventilate it right because you don't want to trap that homeowner inside with uh, with unhealthy air and you want to regulate though when you're bringing that air in. So really there's a lot that goes into building a healthy home. There's a lot that goes into building a high performance home. I, I, I know that there's tremendous builders all across the country. I just really urge anyone who's thinking about building a home to really find the right partner and find the partner who understands the right way to build that home, a healthy home, an energy efficient home, a durable home, a comfortable home, and use us as a resource. We say that almost on, on every episode, but use us as a resource. We're happy to help you find the right builder across the country. And just like that, there's a lot of great architects. It starts with the design. Make sure you have the right architect, a part of your team. Well, and one of the things that we're going to talk a little bit about with Matt is what we learned through the process of building the active house. Mm -hmm. And I think that this Hibs Healthy Homes building standard is almost like a culmination of all of those different building standards and just realizing the right way to build a house takes from each of these different schools of thought. And it's, um, you know, in our customers benefit from that because it's not, you don't have to go through the certification process if you don't want to, but you get all of those great benefits if you build to our Hibs Healthy Home Standard that we're kind of rolling out, and I'm super excited about it. Well, you've done a good job in, in helping educate our um, potential clients and, and just really educate even our listeners of the podcast. We want them to understand what the healthy healthy standards are and what other builders should strive to build to. But as I mentioned, it really does start with the design. And we were, when we were talking about this particular episode, I know we also wanted to focus on having the right architect on to talk about it as well. And you did some research and happened to find somebody right in our backyard here in the St. Louis area that is going to be a perfect guest for us. Well, it was actually producer Sarah. Oh, Sarah did it. Well, Sarah, way from, to go. Shout yeah, out to Sarah. Yeah, she's um, she, she found someone from WashU's School of Architecture architecture. And um, it's, that's a really world-renowned school, right? I mean, it's it like is. a lot of people know yes. about, and it's right here in our backyard. Yeah. And we had a chance to speak with uh, one of the senior lecturers and a professor at the uh, Washington University School of Architecture, Ryan Abendroth. And uh, it was a very interesting conversation. We're going to share it with you now. So Ryan, you are a professor at Washington University here in St. Louis, and we think it's really cool that we have such a cool architecture resource right in our backyard. And you also have a lot of experience with high-performance home building, um, green home building. Is that primarily what you teach? Yes and no. So at Washington University, I also teach a lot of undergraduate and graduate design studios. So not all of them are focused on high performance or zero energy buildings. Some are just, you know, kind of basics of design and 
um, how to site a building. And some of this all plays into, you know, high performance building. A lot of the classes that I teach, I try to work some of those techniques in where, um, you know, different professors will have different focus areas. And so I usually do try to, to pull in some of the um, kind of basics in terms of high performance building. Though in some of the design studios, like especially this past semester I was teaching sophomores, for example, it's a little more difficult to do that because we have a core studio sequence where we're trying to teach, you know, specific things each semester. I also teach seminars occasionally, and those seminars have focused on energy modeling and building performance. Like one of them is titled Design Strategies for Energy Efficiency. Ryan, it's it's a very interesting background, and, and we as, as a high-performance builder, this is what we focus on on an everyday basis. I got into it about uh, nearly 15 years ago, and I just felt it was a better way to build a home for our clients. I thought we were delivering a home that was more efficient, more durable, cleaner indoor air quality. Um, I could go on and on. What was it about um, high-performance that really piqued your interest? And tell us a, a little bit about the background and how you got into teaching it. Um, I got into the field um, when I was a student at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign as an undergraduate architecture student. I'd actually transferred into the program, so I had a little flexibility in my schedule due to having some gen eds out of the way, and took a seminar that was the first class that was part of the Solar Decathlon competition in 2009. So the solar decathlons where you build or design and then build a small solar powered, completely net zero home. And at that time it was held in Washington, DC. And so we built this project, moved it to Washington, DC for the competition with 20 other um, colleges and universities from around the world. And we ended up in second place. And the first place team was a team for Germany, and they had a passive house. And we also designed a passive house with the help of the Passive House Institute US. And those were the only two passive houses in the competition, and they got first and second place, um, respectively. And so that really cemented in my mind that this is a good um, way to be building. And, and of course, I have concerns regarding climate change and energy scarcity and, and things like that, that sort of play into maybe my interest. Uh, but it was really just that this is a better way of, of building, as you said, and we, we can do um, these really high performance things. So really since 2009, that's about all I've been doing is uh, teaching and, and researching um, specifically passive house buildings, but the majority of those um, are putting PV on and being net zero as well. As a builder, we tend to focus a lot on the materials and the process that go between the walls. And you mentioned that there's a design component to sustainable building that I don't think I know a lot about. So what is different about the architectural design of a home that would make it uh, stand out, I guess, versus your standard built home? Yeah, so that's a really interesting and complex question. <laughs> because there are lots of things that you can do in the design 
to make it perform better, like have certain percentages of windows um, on certain sides of the building to use things like natural ventilation or cross ventilation um, by opening windows and doors. Just the way the building's oriented, is it is it to the south, to the west, to the north? You know, those all play into how the buildings could look and then how they function. However, what I like about the passive house standard is while it takes all those things into effect, it does mitigate some of those design considerations and it doesn't prescribe you a specific way that you need to design as long as you can hit the performance goals. And so with that, it brings that focus actually in alignment to, to what you're talking about in terms of looking at what's in the wall and, and knowing that with building better, more insulated, more airtight assemblies and putting in really high performance windows and doors, um, we can actually overcome uh, some of the things that, that we might need to on specific sites or due to client requests um, and still get to the level of performance that's required. So Ryan, tell us a little bit more about Passive House itself and then take it on into the design and the, the actual construction. Yeah, so Passive House is both a set of building techniques and now a certification standard. And so the building techniques really rely upon a few principles. Um, one is super insulation. The other is air sealing. And those, those are really the two big ones. If I just had to say in two seconds, what is it all about? What really it is, is it's kind of a flipping from what we normally do in a construction process, which is design a building. And then we design a mechanical system that can handle the loads of that building. What Passive House has starts with is they have an idea of what the largest size mechanical system could be. And then you design the building envelope to meet that. And that's what ensures a really high performance, uh, low energy use. Very so interesting because yeah. again, as, as a high performance builder, we focus on virtually the same things and, you know, many different levels, of course, because sometimes we have a client who comes to us and says, I don't want necessarily a passive house or an energy star home, but I want a well-built home, well-insulated, well, you know, air sealed that just performs well. That's going to help me, you know, live in a more comfortable house, cleaner indoor air quality, lower heating and cooling bills. So we, we have experience of building it at many different levels. Never built a passive house before very interested in it. And I think that some of the principles that you just mentioned are ones that um, to which we build already. The one thing I do want to talk a little bit about, though, is the ventilation, because if you're going to build a tight house that's well insulated, you also have to make sure that you're, you're properly introducing fresh air, exhausting stale air and things like that. How do you go about that with your passive house designed homes? Uh, I'll say 99.9% .9 of all passive houses have a balanced ventilation system through either an ERV or HRV. ERV um, typically, which is an energy recovery ventilator. So it is recovering both the sensible uh, temperature that you can feel and the latent or moisture um, related energy um, as well in, in the airstream. And that's a balanced system, which means whatever is exhausted from the building 
from generally kitchens, bathrooms, maybe occasionally mudrooms, laundry rooms, mechanical spaces, depending on the layout of the building itself, is offset with supply coming in. And that supply is generally going into bedrooms, uh, living rooms, family rooms, spaces where, where people are living. And there's some advantages to, to this, which is, first, all air is being filtered as it comes in through that ERV system. And so you know you're getting fresh, clean, filtered air. And if you have particular allergens or any other sensitivities, you can even treat that uh, further or what many projects are doing are upgrading the filters in those ERVs to, to something like a MERV 13 when maybe the standard is, is MERV 8 and you use a little bit more fan energy, but it does provide a, a very high level of indoor air quality. It's generally that passive houses, you probably know your bath fans in traditional construction, in almost all passive houses, the bathroom fans are the exhaust point for that ERV. So in terms of total fresh air requirements, the ERV is using the local exhaust requirements and whole building requirements, whichever is greater, to, to set the airflow rate there. In the past, there has been, and there still are some projects that will ventilate kitchens also through the ERV. Uh, but there is a, a growing trend when looking at the harmfulness of kitchen byproducts uh, for cooking and things to still have a dedicated range hood that is exhausting um, to the outside. So you're working with the next crop of architects who are going to be designing these homes. And I'm wondering, is it really the building industry that's pushing this growth right now? Or do you foresee that, you know, it's the the architects or the, the customers who are really care more about the sustainable side of it? I know with us, our customers um, have more of a financial interest for the energy efficiency savings. So um, from your perspective, what do you see in the future driving this? No, I think it is mostly consumer demand. Of course, consumers have to know um, what some of the implications of their choices are. And I think that's where architects and builders can come in to sort of drive demand to. In my world, it's very common to, to have a client, you know, find my information online or something, give me a call. And, you know, they've read up on Passive House and they're, and they're very interested on being able to do that. And then if you can't find a builder, right, or an architect or other people in the project team to sort of make that happen, it's not going to happen. That's, that's kind of going to make the, the project not be able to move forward. So I, what I'm really saying is it's a full team effort to be able to deliver these high performance homes. And I believe that clients, though, are the ones that are starting to drive the trend. Ryan, I totally agree with you because as a builder and former past president of the the St. Louis Home Builders Association and trustee for the National Association of Home Builders, I'm around builders all the time and I know the way they think and I know what goes on in their minds. Many of them understand high performance building, but what scares them when it comes to it is 
high performance building in most people's eyes will cost a little bit more because of the higher insulation values, because of the ERVs or the HRVs and the caulk and seal packages and things like that. Most builders contend that it should be consumer driven. It should not be mandated that builders have to follow these paths when it comes to how to build the home. Do you have a comment on that particular question as far as mandating versus non-mandating the high-performance building? I do think there has to be some level of mandating, but that might lag behind what's actually happening in the marketplace. So just for an example today, um, right before this call, my morning was spent on an IECC, which is an International Energy Conservation Code um, subcommittee for envelope and embodied energy where they're listening to proposals for updating the code in in 2024. And I do see that as a sort of strategic thing that that needs to to happen um, to bring up sort of the minimum level of performance in in buildings. And I I think some of the codes are there for a reason. We could probably have another discussion of of whether they they overreach or too onerous or many other things. But I I do think there is a, a sort of minimum that that needs to be mandated just just to meet our our goals because the amount of clients that are educated enough to say come request um you know passive houses are a very small percentage of the people let's say buying houses every year yeah i i agree with you i think some minimum levels is something that that is absolutely acceptable i think the one thing that i as a builder would fear though is if they mandate too much we're already facing record high construction costs as it is that are totally out of our control and the more mandates that uh are, are approved, whether it is the IECC or the ICC or the various code councils and all, I think it becomes a little bit harder for, you know, some of these homes are a little bit further out of reach for some of the potential buyers. So I'm in agreement with you that I think we really need to focus on some standards, um, but, but also be careful of how we mandate so we don't overreach as, as you put it as well. Yeah. And it's really interesting because to me, the cost effectiveness is based on what your time horizon is. Yes. If if you're looking at moving every five years, it makes very little sense to, you know, invest in the building envelope or better mechanical systems or or PV. Like none of those really, you know, work over very short time frames. But a lot of the clients I have, part of why they're interested in, in some of these practices is because they are building their forever home, right? Or something they're going to live in a long time, leave to their kids. And in, in that sort of case, you can um, definitely justify some more investment. And when taken as a holistic um, kind of package, you really can get to the point where over, let's say, like a 30-year mortgage, your energy savings can offset the upfront cost of many of the sort of upgrades that are needed to, to get to Passive House. I could not agree with you more, and I'm glad you mentioned that, and our, our listeners really need to pay attention to that. I'm going to repeat it, that if you are building your forever home and you plan on living in that home past five, six, seven years, the investment is definitely worth it. The investment will be paid back by your cost savings. So it's something to seriously consider if you're if you are building your forever home.
Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Count on the experts at Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery to help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in together. Shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to discover stunning products from the comfort of your own home. I was looking through your website, Ryan, and it looked like a lot of the homes that you designed and built have almost this futuristic vibe to them, um, kind of geodesic and all of that. I mean, you don't see those in St. Louis quite as often, but I know that you've done some remodels and you're an architect by trade. So um, tell us a little bit about your design aesthetic and, and how that impacts your home being a passive home. So the answer there is two parts. One is that high performance buildings and passive houses specifically don't have a design aesthetic. If you go to like the Passive Houses Institute's website, there are many, many different types of projects that all look different from, you know, stucco to futuristic fabric, like you saw probably on my um, website, to everything in between. The nice thing about Passive House and other high-performance buildings is it doesn't necessarily require a specific aesthetic. So if you have contemporary or modern taste, that's fine. If you have more traditional taste, that's fine as well. There's brick retrofits to Passive House um, and all kinds of other things. And so part of um, what I have on, on my website are some projects that were um, university projects made from various design teams and looking at experimental building technologies. Like the first passive house I mentioned earlier was out of bamboo plywood was the structure cut into sort of one by 10 framing. And the other one on there is a fabric called the textile house right, which that membrane system had never been used before in a uh, residential construction building. So that said, at the same point in time, I have clients right now in Taos and Santa Fe, New Mexico, where that are flat roof, sort of stucco, kind of traditional um, looking buildings for, for that area. Um, and others in, in Kansas City that are um, you know, metal roof and fiber cement siding and yet more in uh, Houston that we currently have going on that have brick facades and, you know, rock wall insulation systems with PV integrated roofing on them. So there's so many different ways in terms of the design aesthetic that you can go. And I would say while I do trend personally to some of the more contemporary um sleeker sort of designs with less ornamentation. It's really up to the client in terms of what they are looking for and and what can be accomplished as part of the design. Ryan, I'm so glad you brought that up because um, I've got a funny story to share, which really does exemplify that you can truly build the house you want, design it the way you want, and then have it perform to the level you want. About seven or eight years ago, maybe even a little bit longer, we were asked to build the first active house 
um, here in North America. So we had uh, identified a younger couple over in Webster Groves, and we were going to have a meeting with them and talk to them about what Active House meant, where we we're going to build the house, et cetera, et cetera. They had found a lot over in Webster Groves, which is a, a municipality of St. Louis area for those listening in other parts of the country. And so we sat down with them, and the husband was a CPA. So we started talking to him about the performance aspect of these homes and and the utility bills and the the you know the PV the photovoltaics and what that would do to to the utility bills and the performance of the house and everything and he got it right away you know he knew that there was there was cost savings he knew that it was it was the right way to go but we knew we had some work to do with his wife because she kept looking at us weird and so I finally said to her you know do you have any questions do you have any reservations and she said well, what is this house going to look like? Because I don't want to be building and living in a dome. My friends are going to make fun of me. And so we were able to tell her that, no, you can design and build the house you want. And it's not going to look any different than your neighbor's house, but yet it's going to perform much differently. I would say like all clients seem to have uh, maybe something, right, that they're particular about. Uh, there are some things that are just very difficult to, to make work depending on what your overall goals are for the project. So that's the first thing I actually ask when talking to people. And that, you know, can really help um, define w- what the project might end up end up looking like. Again, I will say there are some things that, that I see that are just maybe hard to overcome, like uh, multiple indoor fireplaces i've seen was working on a project that had like six indoor fireplaces that's just really hard to deal with um if you're building an airtight box in terms of combustion safety and and being able to manage the issues around that and and the ventilation and and things like that um, with sort of traditional open fireplaces so at at some points I, i agree you can sort of have almost all of what you want, but there are specific features that get really tricky um, or really costly to sort of mitigate or have those in an efficient way. But that's where it's important to work with your architect and work with the builder and and make sure everybody's on the same page. So Ryan, there's a lot of other rating standards out there. There's of course LEED, there's Energy Star, there's NGBS, National Green Building Standards. There's many other more regionalized um, standards as well. What are your thoughts on some of those as compared to Passive House? And I guess your overall thought on, hey, as long as you're building a better home and building it toward one of those standards, you're, you're kind of in favor of them? I think passive house is sort of the pinnacle or let's just say zero energy. And, and really that's also trending. I have clients now coming to me looking for zero carbon or, or positive energy projects in terms of offsetting their carbon footprint as well. So I think that's maybe the next new sort of frontier coming down to the industry. And it's probably starting in larger buildings where there's already some carbon accounting and things going on. Uh, But that's kind of looking forward. In terms of how Passive House is positioned, they've actually partnered with the Department of Energy and Energy Star and the next step up, the Department of Energy's Zero Energy Ready Home Program are prerequisites for Passive House. So in, if you're sort of already doing that, Energy Star, and then the, especially if you're already a builder working on, let's say, zero energy ready home sort of certifications through the DOE, um, Passive House is the next step up from that on their sort of chart of, of things to aim for. 
And so I think there is, there's trying to be anyway, some synergy between all of these various programs and giving yeah, builders and clients the option to say, well, we can't quite get to, to one, but there is this sort of fallback approach in terms of a different program. I also think some of the regional programs are are very useful. Um, we don't have a whole lot of those that, I, that I'm aware of here in, let's say, St. Louis. But there are uh, certain states that have um, even tied financial incentives to some of their regional programs, um, especially tax incentive financing for multifamily buildings. Um, we see that a lot in passive houses in New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, who all have programs to incentivize multifamily housing. So, Ryan, if our listeners want to work with you, do they come to you after they have plans drawn up? before they have their builder? What, what is the best way to get you involved in a project and find you? Yes, uh, my website has all my contact information. Um, and it's, I think, fairly easy to, to get a hold of me either through the website or through the email or phone um, that's listed there. In terms of when to contact me, that's, that's a more interesting question. Um, generally, you would want to be ahead of kind of what your design might be. So, I've had people contact me before they even had a lot and ask maybe about a lot that they were thinking about purchasing and is this conducive to, you know, a, a zero energy building. Most people already have the land when they contact me. Some even have a builder. What is the hardest type of project to sort of do though is when they have a builder that doesn't really work on high performance homes and maybe they've chosen a plan already off the shelf um, from that builder that hasn't taken into account any of the things that just make it easier and more cost effective to make high performance homes. So we can uh, do, I think that's maybe the other thing is you can make a lot of things, as we were talking earlier, in terms of style and layout and things be high performance, be zero energy, um, but it's going to cost more if you need um, really large PV systems and just more maybe insulation or things to make up that performance. And we're, we're big proponents, Ryan, and you've mentioned this. So put your team together up front. Find a builder that you're comfortable with. Have the builder and or the, the architect slash designer work with you to make sure that the lot is appropriate for what your goals are. So, yeah, we're, we're like you. We're a big proponent of put that team together and work together as a team. Um, be honest with the architect and with the uh, the builder as far as what the budget is and just just you know put your trust in them to kind of work you through the project. Quick question because I've heard you mention you're working on projects in other parts of the country. Um, are you licensed in these in these other areas as well or do you get licenses in other parts of the country as needed? The reason I ask that is because we truly do have listeners all over the country. What I do and focus on, even though I teach architecture and have a master's in architecture, I do not have a license as a licensed architect. Sometimes I'm actually the, the client of the builder who has, a, you know, a client wants to build a high performance home. Um, sometimes it's other architects. Sometimes it's the client themselves that, that hire me to, to sort of oversee energy analysis and design on, on the project. But usually, right, wherever there's an architect required, I'd say 
99% of the time on projects I work on, there is another architect or an architect that is um, doing all the drawings and, and the design work. And I'm really just being the certified passive house consultant on the project and offering expertise on specific assemblies, windows, doors, uh, mechanical systems, you know, hot water, all the things that factor into the energy performance of the building in a consultant role. And at, yeah, at this point, I've worked with homeowners, developers, builders, other passive house consultants, architects, um, kind of a huge range of interested parties in the building industry that are, are looking at building uh, to, to passive house or to zero energy standards. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for all this awesome information. This is our first uh, experience with Passive House, right? I mean, we've we've done Active House, we've done Energy Star, we've done National Green Building Council, all these things. So I'm going to put your contact information, uh, a link to your website up on our show notes and uh, encourage our listeners to reach out to you. All right. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you guys about um, Passive House uh, specifically. And hopefully you'll try one out or have the opportunity to try one out in the future. Melody, I was so glad that Sarah found uh, Ryan because we've never built to the Passive House standards. It's something that I've always wanted to build to. And it was just interesting to kind of learn the differences between a code-built home and, and what they focus on from a, from a Passive House standpoint. So it was uh, you know, nice to have Ryan on. We thank him for his time. But now we want to flip our attention and talk a little bit more about, a, about the Active House, which you mentioned a little bit earlier in this episode. And we're going to have one of my favorite people on to talk, which is Matt Belcher. He is so knowledgeable, and I learn so much every time I talk to him. Matt, it is always nice to see you. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. Our listeners always enjoy hearing from you because not only do you have a great sense of humor (laughs) and you have a great laugh, but you have a lot of real good knowledge about high performance and green construction, which is, of course, what we specialize in. So how are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here again with you, and I love doing this, as you know. You do like talking about green construction, don't you? Yes. Uh, Remind our listeners um, a little bit about your background. I grew up in the home building business, and uh, my dad worked for a big lumber building material supply house, Hillby and Lumber Company, if uh, anybody is old like me and still remembers. (laughs) And uh, we... um, they were building prefabricated components, uh, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, which are kind of the new thing now. What's old is new again. And uh, so I just kind of grew up in that that industry and uh, worked in it as a kid. And then uh, went to work in the nuclear power plant construction industry, got certified. And, and uh, that's some serious stuff, obviously. And then left that industry and came back and uh, got a job as a building official with... Uh, St. Louis County back in the, uh, I'm really dating myself now, (laughs) way back in the last century in the 80s, and um, was a code official for a number of years, and then left my good government job and started building homes and and small commercial buildings. And And that's how we met. Yeah, it it is. I couldn't build anything uh, below code because I knew all the other building officials and they knew (laughs) I knew better. But, uh, you know, really, the code is, to me, has always been kind of a minimum. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, there's just so many other good opportunities to improve on that minimum that, uh, 
you know, we did it as a way to differentiate ourselves. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now, it, obviously, it's just become uh, an easier thing to do with better stuff we can do it with, as you well know. And I'm going to date myself since you did it <laughs> earlier. You and I first met back in 2005. And I was really impressed about, you know, your construction methods and what you were doing to build those better homes. Back in the day, it was called green construction. Mm -hmm. We call it now, I, I call it high performance. Yeah. There's a lot of different verification um, rating systems out there we'll get into in a couple of minutes. But I remember that one of the projects that you and I collaborated on uh, several years ago, right here in the St. Louis area, was a project for David and Twee Smith, yes. and it was an active house project. Yes. So active house is one of the, um, I guess, verifications uh, that you can build to. There's many of them out there. But active house, we actually built the first... Um, active House in North America, mm -hmm. and you were instrumental in bringing that to the St. Louis, the greater St. Louis area. And there's kind of an interesting story behind that. So share that with our listeners. Well, I, you know, again, it's kind of being in the right place at the right time. And I was fortunate enough to to uh, have run in circles and new people at new people. So uh, Active House is a European green standard. You You would think they would have been out ahead of us with that sort of thing, but in fact, they weren't. But they kind of went about developing the standard the right way. They put together a specification, uh, you know, almost a draft form, a little more formal of that, and set out to build some prototypes to test their theory. And they did several in Europe, of course, uh, one in Africa, one or two in Russia, and uh, wanted to build one here in the States. And through, through people I knew got a hold of me and went to uh, uh, North Carolina to Charlotte to uh, meet with a the folks and um, I told them I'd love to be involved with it, but I want to do it in the St. Louis area because you know we we don't just build a code here. You know we are in Tornado Alley, we are in the New Madrid Seismic Zone, and uh, you know the climate zone that we're in. We heat half the year and cool half the year, so we have to build to both of those elements. You know where air's wanting to transfer out half the year and transfer back in the other half. So um, so it's a very challenging environment. It, yeah. More and that's one of the reasons you wanted to bring it here. Yeah. And, and more so than that. And they love that. They they love that aspect of it, you know, that we're not just building to, you know, cold weather or what have you. So, um, you know, we're, we're just kind of a tradition here of building homes that look, they're bunkers that look like homes, frankly. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, it just added another element to what they were looking at to prove out their standard. And I remember one of our first meetings, we met with Jeff Day, who was the architect yes. on the project, yeah. and we had to find a homeowner who, who was going to be interested in the project. And it just so happened that Jeff had a couple that he started mm -hmm. working with. They had some property in Webster Groves, which is a, um, a, a really a cool little development within the greater St. Louis area. And so he had a younger couple. They wanted to build a new home. Jeff went to them and said, hey, I have a great idea. Would yeah. you guys be interested in building an above-code home? And he, he mentioned Active House, and they, of course, didn't know what that was and mm -hmm. needed to learn more about it. So Jeff introduced David and Twee to us, and we sat down and had a meeting yeah. with him. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. I'll never forget that. It was <laughs> it was great. And, of course, David, you know, was a, a, CPA, a CPA and an engineer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Twee is, is just phenomenal, you know, just phenomenal. And we're all still good friends with mm -hmm. him, of course. Um, but having that conversation with him, telling him what we wanted to do. And the reason we wanted to not just build the home, but actually have a, a client that would live in it, a normal family, mm -hmm. if you will. And um, that way, because we were going to meter that house, you know, we put little hobo meters in that house to 
measure the humidity level and the air quality and the the electric use for lighting and heating and so on. And, you know, we need somebody that was uh, receptive to that. And of course they were, but I remember 10 minutes into the conversation uh, talking about, you know, this being a little bit better home, but the equity also that goes with it. And of course, David got it right away. And the monthly savings. And the, exactly. You know, the, yeah. yeah. The, the cost to live there is yes. so much less. Yes. And, you know, frankly, we, the neighborhood that we were building in, in Webster Groves, uh, he grew up in that neighborhood, as a matter of fact. And it's an historic neighborhood, you know, from our standpoint here. Um, you go over to Europe and talk about an historic neighborhood, and they're like 2,000 years old. But, <laughs> um, you but know, he we, got it right away. He understood yes, the numbers. He's a yeah, CPA, as you mentioned. Exactly. And we knew that it would be a, a good opportunity to demonstrate the market uh, impact on this sort of thing because we're going into a neighborhood of big, historic Webster homes. And we're, we have to design this home. You know, you look at the active homes that are built in Europe and they look European and we had to design this home in, in accordance with the architectural guidelines they have there in Webster Groves and then make it perform to that specification. And that's so. what Twee was concerned about yes. because she was very skeptical of this, even though Dave was on board, you know, just with the, the operating expenses, the monthly savings and everything else, but she had her own concerns. Well, and, you know, I understood it and, and so did you, of course. I mean, you know, because we were considered green builders yeah. and, you know, we're like outcasts <laughs> <laughs> back then anyway. And I remember Twee saying, I don't know how I'm going to explain to my friends I'm building a green home. And I just told her, I said, we have the same problem. It's, it'll be our little secret. You know, we're really building to these performance levels. It just happens to be green. And she she really thought we were going to build a dome or something yeah, that, yeah, that just yeah. looked out of place for the neighborhood. Yeah, and, and I think that was the real trick. And the Active House folks, you know, they're based in Brussels. And we were working with uh, folks out of Copenhagen, of course, Henrik and his crew. And I think that they appreciated the fact that we had to design to a certain parameter, but still meet their specifications. And, uh, you know, we also built to our own standards we had here, the National Green Building Standard, and kind of married the two up. And um, uh, so, it, you know, obviously over the last 10 years, or it, they've been in there or so, um, it has really performed above expectation, above our calculations. Mm -hmm. For expectations and um, obviously they they seem happy with it so uh, I think it's it's turned out real well well I know that the active house was a teaching house it was a teaching tool yeah. um, so we did a couple of uh, yeah. open houses where people came through before drywall was up and things like that but I wonder what you guys learned from it too Ah, that's a great question. Oh, way to turn the tables. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How the turntables have turned. Matt, I'm going to let you go first. I need well, time to think you about know, I, I, that's kind of what I enjoy about doing these sorts of things is because um, you do learn. I mean, you know, just when you think you know it all, you do something like this and you realize, man, there's so much more to be known. But obviously the technology constantly improves. And a lot of the things we did in the active house that were kind of a stretch back then are now code. Frankly, um, and we're just, but that's how we manage to build what we build and stay above code. You know, whenever the code changes, that's just our competition trying to keep up with us. <laughs> One of the features of that house, uh, obviously, is energy savings. That's kind of the low hanging fruit in every program. But we used, we had five different energy sources in that house. We had natural gas, which was already there, 
for the house we had had deconstructed, not torn down. That was and that's in. important because we like to repurpose materials whenever that's we correct. can. And so. I tell you, it's even more valuable now. Yeah. Look at what building materials cost. Yeah. You can sell reused lumber for more than you can new. Didn't a lot of those materials from the old house go to Habitat Restore, yes. too? Yes. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick sidebar on that. Um, you know, we had a few things that didn't, you know, the Habitat volunteers came and took that. It was amazing how much stuff they took. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a few things like windows or whatever that didn't. So two weeks later, I loaded them up and took them over there. They had already sold all but a few sticks of casing out of that house in two weeks. Right. I mean, that's just how fast because the demand yeah. for that. And this is, you know, a number of years ago, too. And so, you know, that went there. But even at that time, um, they were redoing Highway 40 and uh, 64 now for all you youngsters. And uh, they had... Um, uh, had a plant, just so happens at the old Hillbin main headquarters on Page Avenue, my old stomping grounds as a kid. Uh, they had a plant where they were taking all that concrete and crushing it and repurposing it for gravel. And so all of the asphalt and concrete that we took out of that house, we sent up there. They crushed it and we got it back to use for base under the driveway and all that. And, you know, it, it a fraction of the cost of quarried rock and having it hauled. So there were a whole lot of not only kind of cool things, but, you know, frankly, they're more cost-effective things. So, you know, but transitioning all of the abilities to marry up solar PV for electric. So we're getting back to our... our so we're getting back to our, the first question, the original question. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> Thank different you. sources Thank, of energy. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, five different sources of energy. So we had, obviously, Ameren was there with electric, with electric and then uh, Laclede at the time was there with natural gas. And, you know, so you just had the end of the pipe literally sticking out we could hook into. And then we had solar PV, which powers electric. Mm-hmm. And then solar thermal, which provides hot water. Uh, then daylight. We incorporated daylight into our our lighting design, and, and uh, which obviously is part of the energy plan. So, Matt, I want to focus a little bit on one of the principles you just mentioned, mm-hmm. which is daylight. That's very important in the active house standards. And in this particular house, if I'm not mistaken, we had 11 different skylights in the house and yeah. we used them purposefully to help bring light in. We were very we were also very purposeful when it came to the design of the house, where we had um, windows, where we didn't have windows, the size of the windows. Talk about the importance of that in the active house um, structure, if you will. The funny thing is a lot of that now is incorporated into the building codes. You know, even the daylighting thing is more so in the commercial codes, but it's it's neat to see that transition. What we were doing kind of is almost considered experimental back then is now uh, part of the code. But to take all of that into account, you know, all energy efficiency in any building starts with the envelope of the building. It starts with good design and then the envelope of the building. Because the envelope of the building, you know, you tighten it up, it's well insulated, it's made to last, of course, and that's the part of the building really that's going to be there forever. Uh, everything else bolts onto that. And so if you concentrate on that and do a good job, which we did, we used uh, at that time wood clad structural insulated panels. Mm-hmm. And that and gave explain us, that. A SIPS panel uh, basically a, has your, your sheathing on, on either side and, and your insulation in the middle. Yeah, it's a, it's a expanded uh, foam insulation in the middle. And uh, they're pre-made. They're made off-site. They're pre-made, all your window all window rough openings, door rough openings, things like that. Everything is engineered to work together. But that gives us such a tight, well-insulated envelope 
that then, you know, we can, we're allowed to do some more things with windows and skylights and all that, you know, it's all calculated out. So it's, it is a very proactive thing to do with, with, uh, designing this house. It, it really, we're incorporating skylights. We placed, uh, skylights over the stairwell to throw daylight all the way down to the basement, you know, two levels and then down to the basement. But also they were operative skylights, so that provided ventilation, natural ventilation for us. And weren't there sun tunnels in the closets too? We put sun tunnels in in dark area, and we had done done Mm -hmm. that in in other homes where you have a a master closet, say, that that doesn't have a window in it or an an interior room, a laundry, say, that's on the interior of the house. Um, you know, you put a sun tunnel in there and it's, it's daylight, even on moonlit nights, it's like a, a can light in that room. So, uh, they do a heck of a job just on themselves. So there is an abundance of energy savings just using daylight. And we were able at the time, you know, put sensors on the exterior of the home that would sense the amount of light outside versus the amount of light inside. So, you know, in the morning as dawn comes and it starts getting lighter, um, uh, you know, those, those. Uh, artificial lights that we have inside would pot down and incorporate more of the daylight. And same way in the evening, as we get to dusk, the uh, interior lights would pot up and come in. You know, the comfort of of just your eyes, um, it just makes a difference. Plus, it's energy appropriate, if you will. And Melody, you asked the question, what did we learn from it? That's probably my biggest takeaway on this particular project is the amount of prep work that we had to do up front to make sure that everything was accounted for. Because when you're using the SIPS panels, you have to engineer it, as you mentioned, but you have to account for window openings, door openings, plumbing stacks, you know, the the photovoltaics. I mean, you have to plan for everything. Not that you can't modify it during construction, but it makes it a little bit harder. So I just remember the hours and hours and hours of prep work up front that Matt put into it, that I put into it, that the team put into it, the number of meetings we all had, because we knew that as this house went together, we had to be well planned or we would run into some issues. Yeah, it's it's certainly not seat of your pants by no. any means. And well, that's uh, how we normally build, right? I'm just <laughs> yeah. joking. Well, but you know, see, <laughs> since we've done projects like that, you yeah. know, nowadays you you kind of follow the same principle. We, you know, get an, especially as a custom builder, you get a plan, uh, you work with the architect to get the design done and, and get it to a stage that then you can sit down. Uh, typically at the architects' conference room because they always have the nicest conference rooms. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, sit down. I would, I would like to object to that statement, <laughs> being as I I, get, she's got a good point uh, there. I don't know how right. they get the money to pay for those things, but um, but you know, we'll sit down with that set of plans with our carpenter and HVAC guy and and plumber and electrician. You know, some of our our trade partners, and that's how we get to be partners with them. And, and kind of virtually build that house right there at the conference room table. And you eliminate conflicts between ductwork and plumbing and, and um, you know, things like that. Because those guys, you know, they're skilled. The carpenters will tell us, man, if we just did this, it would be a lot more effective, which means saves us money. And so, you know, you, you eliminate a lot of stuff at no cost but time at that point. If you get a plumber and a HVAC guy, a, a sheet metal guy out in the field arguing over what stud space they're going to go up at 65 bucks an hour each, you know, that gets costly. So we solve all that stuff. Or 
we solved most of that stuff. You're going to have problems, but then you've got it down to minutia at that point. You know, you mitigate everything down to the point where something happens on site. It, it's easy. So, um, uh, you know, just spending that little bit of time, then you get your materials ordered, you get everything set up and staged, and you can get that house up out of the, we were, what, a week and a half? We were up mm-hmm. out of the yeah. weather, completely insulated. Which is remarkably quick. Yeah, and time is money. So, uh, especially on a job site. And you also eliminate the damaging factors of weather on the inside of that house. So, uh, you know, it's it's just a very purposeful way of doing things. And, of course, you know, we still do that today, even with our, our smaller jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still a, a, a personal, and especially with the cost of materials now, you really need to dial in, uh, you know, how you're going to get materials, what they're used for, minimize your waste, uh, because that's cost money too you know you get a a bunch of lumber and it's all cut off you know laying in the mud and then you pay somebody to pick it up and throw it in a dumpster which you paid for and it goes to landfill if we can eliminate that and we've done that we've mm-hmm. gotten you know yeah. we've eliminated one two dumpsters out of the whole chain so um uh, using prefabricated off-site panels and things like that has goes a long way for that too but you know to to further answer your question you know, some of the newer technology, um, we finally were able to use, tie our HVAC system together. We had, you know, one very small HVAC unit, and we zoned every level, had its own zone, if you will, to uh, to temper. And so we, uh, you know, had a thermostat on every level and tied all that together. And, man, it, it worked for I'll never forget going over... One morning before, I think we we're going to do an open house, or maybe it was right before we were done with the house, and it was a very cool evening. And I went inside that house and saw the thermostat on the main level, and I went upstairs and saw the thermostat exactly the same temperature. And I went to the basement exactly the same temperature on three stories, you know, three different levels, and. Uh, I thought, man, did we get lucky or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't because we purposely, purposefully planned what happened. Yeah. Because I know that in talking to HVAC contractors, they, you know, the typical contractor is going to say you have a six degree temperature differences between floors, and that's tolerable. Yeah. Where with you and I is no, it's not. Yeah, it's it needs to be within a degree or two. Yeah, I, but we were spot on. I, I don't want to have to change clothes just because I go exactly. upstairs, <laughs> put a coat on. <laughs> well, and I think that that really impacted the way that Hibbs Homes built homes moving forward too. Yeah, totally. it's, you know, the comfort level um, was so apparent, you know, with the difference between the floors and we knew we could do it at that point in time. And that's part of our Hibs Healthy Homes standard too yeah. is comfort. Yeah. It was a it was a great learning experience. And Melody, you're absolutely right. That's one of the things that, that we have taken forward in our building practices is always be above code and always build as good of a home as you can, many factors, efficiency, comfort, indoor air quality, et cetera, et cetera. But that's something that we do focus on, like you say, kind of through our Hibs Healthy Home practices. This podcast is sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors. Pella is the industry leader in innovation and style. Windows have become a key element in home design, and Pella has the product and professionals to guide you to your perfect solution. Pella is cutting edge in energy efficiency, durability, and performance. 
If you're tired of looking through screens, check out the Pella Integrated Roll Screen that you won't see until you need it. Pella offers the broadest selection of premium products to meet any budget and any design inspiration. Allow Pella to show you what they can do to improve the style and comfort of your home. With Pella's limited lifetime warranty, you won't have to worry about windows and doors again. Call 314-714-0100 to make an appointment or visit our showroom in Chesterfield Valley. And one of the things that Matt taught me during this project was that sustainability is not just about, you know, the green part of it, like keeping, you know, the things out of the landfill, awesome, awesome yeah. part of that. But it's also about making sure that you're not doing a lot of work through the life cycle of the house, too. And I thought that that was a really interesting point, and you make it yeah, so well. It, so. It's, it's, you know, there are some basic things like that. It's, you know, sustainability is is not just building that, that home or building. It's the future use of that home or building, too. You know, uh, if you can um, plan for things like even additions, things like that, you, in the initial design stage and construction stage, you can set that house up to be more adaptable, um, at some point to make it easy so you don't have to do major surgery um, and uh, even limit the, the amount of disruption and waste and impact on the indoor air quality at, at that time. Um, the other part is um, just the investment. And I mean, you know, really that's the, the rest of it is, is great. You know, if we save a whale or two, good on <laughs> us, you know, but um, you know, it really is a better investment. And that's what hooked David immediately yeah. is he just saw that, it's not just that monthly savings, um, you know, their, their utility bills are minimal and all our clients are like that. But the, um, just the value of that home, they praise higher, uh, they carry that equity forward. I, uh, I remember when we were at the, I think it was the groundbreaking um, in CJ, little tiny CJ back then, who's now, you know, going to college. But I told him then, I said, when she goes to college, this house will still be above code. It will mm -hmm. still not have uh, uh, suffered um, from loss of value or anything like that. And it, it's true. It's still well above code. So that's the active house. But uh, we've focused on, in this particular episode, a lot on the passive house, too. Mm -hmm. So talk to us your opinion, the differences between the two, and if you have a, you know, if you have a preference between the two. Yeah, I, I, in very, very basic terms, uh, passive house is all about the envelope. Mm -hmm. You know, they are trying to get you to where, you know, you can put anything in there, you know, in a minimal state and it's going to work well. And in comparison, active house is a little more holistic. They weren't as dialed in uh, to any particular thing, but they were very, um, they very much emphasized Occupant comfort, which is huge, obviously. including the lights. Yeah, you know the lighting structure, the, the lighting, and, yes, and it's, all that. It's um, you know, and they really, they literally have a target that if you address all these issues, you know, the closer to that bullseye and that target you get, uh, you know, the better that house is. So, we were in the very first specification we built under. They're on the third version of that specification. And they use the data from yep. our yes. active house to continue to, uh, I guess, update their the different versions. They, they do. And, you know, it, they do that the same way we kind of do our building stuff is, uh, you know, we learn from what we do. There's, there's a multitude of benefits from it. The better materials are produced because of it. And, you know, they're produced at a rate that 
that, you know, it's a competitive cost issue. So, you know, it's more affordable. I remember we did uh, homes back when we first met, even we were building a home in Kirkwood and uh, we were building under lead mm-hmm. for homes. It was, that was still conceptual at that point. And we had to buy water efficient fixtures. And the only thing you could get was Hans Grohe or Toto. You know, Expensive great fixtures, but yeah, they're they're high. But now, you know, Moen and Kohler, all of them make them, and they they compete. So you know, it you can't hardly buy a fixture that's not uh, water efficient now, of course. So you mentioned lead. So we've talked a little bit about active yeah. house, more holistic. We've talked yes. about passive house, which really focuses on the the envelope as yeah, we call that, it, which is really the wall assembly. The yeah. roof, the foundation, kind of whatever you could put a blanket on, yeah. on the, and, and it would touch the exterior. That's that's kind of the uh, the what. what and that's a, that's a good way to on. think of it too. You yeah. know, if if you put your your pencil on a on the drawing of the envelope of that house, you should be able to go all the way around it and not lift that pencil off the paper to to identify the envelope. And you want to build as tight of an envelope yeah. as possible, but yes. make sure the house is ventilated properly. So that's kind of what what passive house focuses yes. on. Um, but there's others out there too. There's Energy Star. There's sure. Lead. There, there's a lot of them. Um, how did, how would a a you know a family thinking about building a custom home? How would you suggest they decide which path to go down, and should they even go down a path? Well, you the first thing to think about and always remember is this is your biggest investment, most likely. And you know the way we approach it, of course, is if you were gonna say you're gonna spend seven hundred thousand dollars on a home. If you're going to take that seven hundred grand and put it in the stock market for fifteen or thirty years, which is the life of a mortgage, you'd want it to perform as well as it could. Well, why not your biggest investment? Mm-hmm. And um, there's one way to go about doing that, and that is building. You know, not necessarily to these standards. The standards give us the the a very prudent guideline to go by, but building to these these levels with this this amount of seriousness, if you will to it you know it's just the uh, the dedication to to these sorts of details that in the end and in all the clients that that we built for all say you know talk about the comfort level and how nice it is and and uh, and it's almost like the not that that you know saving a buck isn't important but there's more important issues to them than that monthly savings with yes. your heating and cooling bill that's what we found yep absolutely and and uh you know, most people when they buy a home, they don't consider what the cost of them. They don't even consider closing costs, much less what it's going to cost a month to live in that house until they get the first utility bill. And uh, you know, we can identify that way up front in the design stage and tell them we expect your your monthly utility bills to be in this level. We build a better, more resilient home, so even the operation and maintenance costs are part of that consideration. We, you know, we lower those obviously and the time it takes to do it. So, you know, when you consider all of those things and every client we've ever had has beat our projected cost because they all game the system, which is great. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it, it really makes a very good uh, investment, not only from the operational cost side, but certainly the, the equity and resale side. So one of the things that we're always 
preaching, I guess, at this point is getting your builder involved up front before oh, yeah. you start the design. Oh, oh, yes. But as you were talking, you know, with the, the cost per month, um, there's a big component to how the house is going to be built that's going to impact your mortgage, too. No doubt so, about it. And I think that that's important. It's, you know, kind of bringing plans to us. You want us to re-engineer them at least so that you have that performance value in that. And that's another thing that I, I learned through the process of this. Especially on the custom builder side, which is the, our primary clients, you know, we're in the market every day and we look at all different methods and means to build, whether it's structural insulated panels or two by six frame walls with a variety of insulations or maybe a combination of insulations. And, uh, you know, it, it, the client's budget rules the day. And most, you know, they want to start with granite countertops. Fine. That's the first line item in your budget. We're going to build the best house we can around all of that. <laughs> and we can do a pretty good job. And um, then then the design stage um, kicks in. We can advise, you know, maybe a more economic way to do things or a better material to do something with. Um, because we've done this for a while. And um, uh, we know what the market is almost on a daily basis. So we can we can certainly advise that means but then melody like you were saying at the end of the day the appraiser is the one that drives the finance they're the keystone of the financing avalanche with the mortgage and uh, and the construction loan and you know we worked hard we had a few back you know 10 years ago appraisers that got it and we were fortunate to work with lenders that recognized we weren't just building you know comparing to the short sale down the street and so we were able to get the value we were putting into this identified, and that certainly helps that investment. It creates immediate equity. And um, then it, it same way, if you ever go to sell that house, you know, we've grown the pool. It's been a concerted effort. We've had to educate more appraisers. There's organizations out there that are doing it. So we've really widened and deepened the pool of qualified people to do it. Now it's just a matter we dictate to lenders you need to use these appraisers to evaluate what we're doing because what we're doing is not the same as what the guy down the road is doing. So I'm going to take it a step further, too, because you need to make sure you find a lender yes. who understands the way we're building. Yes. Because they do take into account the monthly operating costs, maintenance costs, and they'll factor that in. Yeah. And it's been proven through energy-efficient mortgages that yes. the lender will actually lend you a little bit more to build our homes because your operating costs, your your monthly uh, maintenance costs and things like that are, are lower. So they'll factor that in. Yeah. So make sure not only do you have the right appraiser, you have to have the right lender too. No, no doubt about it. And, you know, that what that's doing, it just monetizes that equity immediately, you know, and, and puts that right back in your investment. What better place to invest? Um, and so, and you know, as as you do, and we've done, you know, we rough those homes in for future with solar. Uh, you know, we'll run raceway in there, um, and solar now. You know, we did it ten years ago, thinking, well, the technology is going to get better, and it'll be more affordable and, and a better investment in the future. Well, we're kind of getting there right now. So it's a great place for those clients to go back and reinvest some of the equity they built back into that home. So you mentioned solar. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how we do um, prepare homes for future yes. solar. Yes. And that's really the low, you call it the low-hanging fruit yeah. to take you from a, a very high-performing, let's say it's an Energy Star home or National Green Building Standards or one of the myriad of verification systems down to a net zero home. Really, it's yeah. the solar that gets you there, right? It 
it, it will get you there in a hurry with the homes that we've built. Um, because again, we've done a good job with design and the envelope of that house. And to get you far enough down the road that as you make improvements to that house or add to it, you know, zero or net zero is just at arm's length mm -hmm. now. So it's, you know, anything you do to that is going to improve the performance and increase the equity, therefore, of that house and mitigate more obsolescence, too, when you if you ever go to sell it or what have you. So, you know, there are a lot of factors in, involved with that. And even your HVAC system, we've, we've always been putting high-performing, properly-sized HVAC systems and <laughs> you mean you don't want to oversize it so you don't get a call from yeah, the uh, yes, the client during yes, the middle of summer or yeah, winter yeah and they have to replace it every five years because it because like burns as it pumps its little guts out <laughs> and um, yeah it's never comfortable in there because that house is always either pressurized or negative pressure so you know just to to balance all of that out properly is so huge but you were probably not going to replace even that that high-performance stuff we put in eight or 10 years ago, you're not gonna replace it with the same thing because there's better technology out, which again, enhances, further enhances that investment. Matt, great conversation as always. We're learning a lot, especially with uh, some of the projects we're doing out in the, uh, the Northern Utah market, yeah. that people care about healthy homes. Yes. And that's one of the reasons that we have an initiative where we're really trying to focus more on the Hibs Healthy Homes and, and get people to understand that it is more about the indoor environment, the comfort, the clean indoor air. It's not just about necessarily saving money. It's like the entire package. So you always bring a, a lot of uh, great information, a lot of valuable information, and, and uh, it's always good to see you, and thanks for stopping by. Oh, my, my pleasure. Yeah, it, you know, coming out of COVID, obviously the – the indoor air quality is a huge thing. You know, a word of the wise to, to uh, be aware that you can uh, do a good job. But, yeah, I appreciate you having me in. Of course, I love talking about it and love seeing you guys. Melody, I find it very interesting, and, and Matt kind of um, really helped us um, understand that there are differences with these different standards in which we're building to the energy star, the passive, the active, and all. But the one thing I really did like about the Active House project is that, as Matt mentioned, it's a holistic approach. And um, that that's something that I think some of the other standards might be missing the mark on just a little bit. Well, and it's, you know, Passive House is, you know, like he said, uh, very much about that envelope. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, really the Active House is about the people who live inside and how they function within that space, that, you know, floor to floor not being a difference. Um, another thing that we incorporated into our Hibs Healthy Homes building standard, that, that whole house comfort. So, you know, I think that last season... It was bringing the outdoors in. We were talking about design. It's. I think that healthy, healthy homes might be our theme this season. I, I probably I see this, and I get that though because even Matt mentioned, and you're talking about bringing the outdoors in, which is a great thing to do. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, especially with some of the beautiful homes we're building up in uh, outside of Park City and in Park City. Everybody wants to bring the outside in. But you still have times where you have to control that indoor air quality. You still want to make sure that if you're closing up those big, beautiful sliders, you know, which has the, the mountain views, that you're not trapping yourself inside with un, unhealthy indoor air quality. You want to make sure that room to room, floor to floor, you have the comfort. You want to make sure that, that the durability is there, the low maintenance costs, the low operating costs. 
we focus on it all, and that's kind of what that Hibs Healthy Home standard is all about. Well, and I'm going to, in our show notes, definitely link to our Hibs Healthy Homes page so that everybody can get a sense of what all of those different pieces are. And then, um, you know, if you're not working in the St. Louis or Utah markets, you can find builders, you know, you can download it, bring Mm -hmm. it with you and talk to your builder about some of these different things that happen behind the, you know, between the studs, behind the drywall. um, So you know that your home is, you know, being built to be a truly better home. And I'm still a big proponent. If you are in various parts of the country, if you're looking for a builder or a remodeler, because everything we're talking about here can be translated over if you're, if you're remodeling or doing an addition, um, use your HBA, your local home builders association as a resource. Um, most all of them have their own website. Those websites will have drop downs with members. And I'm a big proponent of anybody who's a member of the HBA really is serious about what they do great networking opportunities, great educational opportunities, great collaborating opportunities within the HBA. So it's always a, a real good place to start if you're, if you're looking to find a builder partner, a remodeling partner, or even, quite frankly, an, an architect partner. Now, I've got to admit I'm a little bit scared about our next episode. Why is that? Because you keep throwing the word psychology around. I do. And I'm, you're not going to do a deep dive and try to figure me out, are you? No. I mean, I, I won't. That, but... that could take a while, and it could be scary. I mean... After the episode is over, we potentially could walk into your house and, you know, do a oh, deep so dive into your psychology. we're focusing on psychology of design yeah. and, oh. And, okay. yeah, how it impacts, you know, your day-to-day and, you know, the, the space around you has a huge impact on how you feel from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. That's very interesting to, because I've never thought about that. But, again, you, we were well-planned for this, uh, this season of The Art of Custom, and I think this is going to be one of the interesting conversations that we have. Because think about it, we always talk about getting your architect and getting your builder, everybody, this whole team together. But this is such an important part because when you actually move into that house and and you and your family are living in that house, you want to make sure that it's well planned. So psychologically, it's comfortable, it's, it's, it's comforting, you feel safe, you feel warm. You know, you feel like it's your home. So this is going to be very interesting. Designing for happiness. Okay, and we'll do that on our next episode of The Art of Custom, and we hope you join us then. For more information, visit www.artofcustompodcast.com or find us on Facebook as The Art of Custom and on Twitter at Art of Custom Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest episodes, and please rate and review to help us grow. The Art of Custom is produced by Hug Monster Sound, with original music by Adam Frick-Ferdine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.